Today's scripture reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in all the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Thank you for being with us today at River Oaks. Wasn't it great to get that extra hour? Really, really nice, isn't it? So good to have you with us this morning. Thank you again for coming. Uh, today, I want to let you know we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the uh, end of the message after a little time of prayer. Therefore, the ushers will not come down the aisles to pass the baskets that they normally do. That's the time we typically receive the offering and also the Hey, I'm Here card. So I just want to give you a reminder now that we love it when you fill out these Hey, I'm Here cards and, and drop it in the baskets that will be at the door today. And I do want to note one thing. We're coming to a time of year, particularly the months of December and January, when we see uh, a larger than usual number of new people attending, new guests, and many of them not typically church members. And because of that, our need for uh, people to assist in Noah's Ark and Kids Rock goes up quite a bit. So this week, if you'd be willing to say, hey, I'll take a week or two in December, January, help out in Noah's Ark, if you just write children's ministry on your ham here card, drop it in the basket, that would be a huge help to us as we seek to minister to a number of new people during uh, those months. We continue this morning our study on the teachings of the Apostles' Creed. And we get to a phrase this morning that has raised, I think, more questions than any other phrase in the Apostles' Creed. And that is the part that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And we're going to talk about that today. What do we mean when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and in the communion of saints? We're going to go through the scriptures, uh, particularly focusing on the New Testament book of Ephesians, which really has the church as a key theme of the book. Amanda read a number of verses from Ephesians chapter 1 just a moment ago. And so we're going to look uh, particularly at the book of Ephesians to talk about uh, the church and how we understand the holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, and what this really means. The church, as we see in the scripture, is holy. It's made up of all true saints. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uses the word saints a number of times. For example, he addresses his letter in verse 1 this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints 
who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's using the word saint here to refer to every believer in Jesus. In the New Testament, the, the Greek word that is uh, translated into English uh, to make holy is the verb hagiadzo. It means to consecrate, to sanctify, to set apart. Closely related to the word is the word hagias, and it's translated saints. Saints are those whom God has set apart, consecrated, sanctified, set apart to himself. In scripture, God is holy, and that which is associated with God is holy. Jesus Christ, through his dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to purchase our salvation, has provided for believers, his followers, to be made holy. That is, set apart to God, to be made saints, those who are consecrated to God, set apart to God. Believers are set apart by God, to God, for God, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the working of the Holy Spirit, so that every true believer in Jesus is a saint, a set-apart one, one who's been set apart by God, to God, for God, made holy, in other words. doesn't mean we're without sin. We still stumble in sin. But true followers of Jesus can rightly be called saints. Now, you'll notice this in other verses on the screen from Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He's referring to other believers. He's calling them saints. He's praying for the church and prays that they, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, would know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The saints are his people. The saints are his believers. The later practice in the church years later, of naming certain Christians who had exemplary lives. Naming certain Christians as saints is not a practice that is found in Scripture. In Scripture, all believers are saints, having been made holy by God, set apart to God through Christ Jesus' work on the cross. Now, we can then understand the church is, is holy, not that it's perfect, not that it's without sin, but that it, it is set apart to God, the holy Catholic church that consists of all true saints. Secondly, and this is the word that uh, troubles some people, or at least raises questions, the church is Catholic. That is, it is universal, made up of all true believers. You'll notice in most versions of the Apostles' Creed, the word Catholic is, is not capitalized because it is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. It's using the word Catholic in its historic use to mean universal. That is, all believers everywhere at all times. When you embrace what Jesus did on the cross for your salvation, when you become his follower, you become a true believer. You were at that point set apart to God, for God, by God, could rightly be called a saint, 
because you are a set-apart one, and you become part of the universal church, the family of Jesus, the body of Christ, made up of all true believers over all time, everywhere. A number of verses we see in the book of Ephesians speak of the oneness of the body, the universality of the church. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, 19, for example, example, the apostle Paul is explaining that it's not just Jewish believers who are now God's church, even Gentiles, non-Jews, people from other nations, we're all part of one family. And he writes to those in Ephesus, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The Apostle Paul is picturing the church like a, a great big structure, one building with Jesus as the cornerstone. Later in Ephesians, he writes, there's one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One church, the holy, catholic, universal church. One universal church. And he's saying to the Ephesians, even the Gentiles now, the non-Jews who didn't have the background in scriptures that you had, even those who come through Jesus Christ are part of the one body. As he writes, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, the holy Catholic or universal church and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. How does a person become part of the holy Catholic universal church? Through the gospel. Through embracing Jesus. When you embrace him as your savior, you can rightly be called a member of the holy universal Catholic church. Now, Let's skip to a, a third point about the church because when we're saying the Apostles' Creed, we're saying I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, that there's one true body. The next statement is the communion of saints. What does this mean? The word communion, as it's being used in the Apostles' Creed, is not referring specifically to the Lord's Supper, though we often call the Lord's Supper communion. It's a reference to the fellowship or the community that believers enjoy, in particular, local fellowships. Every believer is part of the larger Catholic universal one body of Christ. But the larger body finds its, its expression in local fellowships of believers. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. And he wrote about how they were to relate to one another. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy the calling with which you've been called. And he now tells us how to relate to one another. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The communion of the saints is the fellowship we have 
with one another because we're members of the same spiritual family purchased by God, to God, for God, through the sacrifice of Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit. This fellowship or communion of the saints, which is found in local church bodies, is really expressed throughout the New Testament with the words, one another. You see it on the screen there where Paul tells us to bear with one another. Now you see a list of just a few of the one another uh, expressions and teachings found throughout Scripture. For example, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. If we follow the rest of the New Testament, we'd find teaching that calls us to be devoted to one another as believers in Jesus, to honor one another, to rejoice with one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be kind to one another, and in the same verse, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. How can these things be done if we as believers in Jesus are rarely or never together? The communion of the saints occurs when believers come together to love one another and walk with one another. We're living in a time right now in the United States of America of rapidly declining church attendance and connection with the local church. It's a, it's a trend that's happening quickly. In fact, LifeWay Research says that even the most mature Christians in churches today in the U.S. are attending 25% less. A lot of reasons for that has to do with perhaps technology, has to do with travel, has to do with uh, sports being on Sundays, or a variety of things. There's also a quickly growing category of de-churched people in the U.S. That is people who, who'd say, yeah, I grew up going to church, went to church, don't need the church anymore. Really um, have no interest in being part of a local church. You might have a friend who says something like this, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't need the church. I don't need to be at church to worship God. In fact, I feel closer to God in nature. I feel closer to God on the golf course. I feel closer to God on my horse or when I'm running or when I'm swimming. I don't need the church to be close to God. Others might say, I get what I want online. I don't need the church. If a person who's truly a believer were to say that, I think my response would be, if I was being honest, if I was bold enough to say it to them, would be, that's a really self-centered way to think. Because the teaching of the Scripture about why be committed to a local church is that the church is the interdependent body of Christ. Here's what Paul writes to the Ephesians. 
And, and I, I stress the word interdependent, not independent. Interdependent. Every part is needed. Paul says, speaking the truth in love, speaking of the church, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the church is the body of which Christ is the head. It's completely illogical to say, I want Christ, but I don't want to be part of his body, or I don't want to be associated with his body. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by, notice these words, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. To the person who says, I don't need the church, I would say, yes, but according to scriptures like this, the church needs you. If every joint is not connected, if every part is not working properly, the church will not grow and flourish as it should because the church is the interdependent body of Christ. And I think it's consistent with other teaching about the church in the New Testament that every believer has a role to play, a part to play. Many people say, well, I don't know what that role is. I don't feel needed. Sometimes your most important role when the church gathers may be simply to speak a word of encouragement or kindness to someone else. I've heard remarkable things over the years about how important that can be to people. I remember someone once telling me they were, they were very close to taking their own life when they just got a, a few encouraging words from someone in the church. The church is the interdependent body of Christ. Secondly, why be connected to a local church? There's a special working of God's power in the gathered church. You may have heard the verse Jesus spoke where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Often hear people quote that verse in connection with prayer, and it's appropriate to do that. But if we go to the New Testament and read the context in which Jesus said, for where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them, he's talking about the authority of the church when it gathers and taking uh, uh, action regarding someone who, who really needs what's sometimes referred to as discipline, corrective, guiding action from the church. But the context of that, where two or more are gathered, I'm in your midst, is the authority of the local church. Now, did Jesus mean by that, where two or more are gathered, I'm with you, if you're alone, I'm not with you? Of course not. He says, I'm with you always. Now, when Paul the Apostle was writing these New Testament letters, wow, God was with him. When John the Apostle was exiled and wrote the book of Revelation all by himself on the Isle of Patmos, Jesus was certainly with him. He's with you when you're alone, wherever you are, if you're his follower. What did he mean then when he said, we're two or more gathered, I'm there in the midst? He meant there is a particular work of the power of his spirit when the body of Christ gathers. You see it in the verses on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a similar situation. The Apostle Paul is talking about the need for the church to exercise its authority to correct someone who has erred, who has strayed, that they might be saved. 
And he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, it would take a long time to explain all that's in that verse, but I just want to focus for the moment on this. When you are assembled, that is when the church is gathered, and note these words, with the power of our Lord Jesus. There is a particular expression and working of God's power when the church is gathered that is not the same as when I'm just having my devotional time at home or I'm walking in nature praying or even when I'm listening to a service online. There is a particular work of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in the gathered church. Thirdly, God calls us to faithful commitment to a local church body for worship, community, encouragement, and spiritual oversight. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And there's that one another phrase again. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice what he doesn't say. We should not neglect meeting together because you need to hear the message or because you need to be in the worship. Those are hopefully good things. But notice the reason he gives. You need to come together so you can encourage one another. There is a mutual encouragement that occurs whenever God's people come together. It takes place in small groups. takes place in larger gatherings. And then one final verse on this. It's a verse that's not often considered uh, in regard to the church. It's found in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. I'll notice those words if you would for a moment. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's a sobering, sobering verse to me. As one who has the responsibility to watch over souls and will have to give an account to God. The reason I use this verse is because I would say to the person who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I'm a Christian, uh, I got no use for the church. The question I'd have to ask is, okay, who's watching over your soul? The Bible says every believer is supposed to be related to the church in in some fashion so that you have spiritual oversight over you. Someone's watching over your soul, your care. How do you do that in a larger church? I'll tell you how we're trying to do it here. We have pastors, we have elders, soon we will have deacons. Our intent is that every one of these leaders, officers, will have 10 or 12 families in our church. And for that whole year, they'll pray for them. They'll contact them. Because we hope to provide better spiritual oversight. We, we, we hope to do a better job of this, frankly. After one service several years ago, 
someone was here that day who's not a part of our church, who's never been part of our church and is, is never here, and in a very rushed way out of the service came up to me and said, hey, I just want you to know you're my pastor. You're my shepherd. I'm under your authority. And, 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 and it just struck me as odd because somebody's never here, not part of the church, somebody I never see. And I thought, whoa, if I had had time to think about this, what I should have said was, no way. I, I, might, I may be your friend. I'm not going to take that responsibility for oversight over your spiritual well-being. You're not part of the church. You don't come here. You're not submitted here. You're not committed here. How can I possibly give an account to God? No. I refuse that responsibility. It's a serious thing. And so the person who says, I don't need the church, I'd say, under whose spiritual oversight are you? Certainly doesn't have to be this church. There are tons of good churches. But we all need that oversight somewhere. So why be committed to a local church? Why not just have church on the golf course or online? Because the church is the interdependent body of Christ. You're needed. There's a special working of God's power in the gathered church. And God calls us to a faithful commitment to some local church body for worship, community, encouragement, and spiritual oversight. And so I just raised these two questions by way of personal application. Am I part of the Holy Catholic Church? That is, have you embraced the gospel? That's what Scripture tells us is the way into the kingdom of God, the Holy Catholic Church. And secondly, am I sharing in the communion of the saints? That is, the fellowship, the community, the one another activity of the church. Let's pray about that as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, thank you that through Jesus, through our faith in him, we can be part of his holy body. That temple in which each part is called to do its part. The church of which Jesus is the head and we're the body. And Lord, we're connected one to another, so would you help us, would you guide us, would you lead us to find our place? And as we prepare to take communion now, would you prepare us to do this in a way that honors you? In the holy name of Jesus. Amen.